You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Sherry Taylor. She is the president and founder of Quam Taylor. Sherry, thanks for being on the show. Hey, Zach. How are you today? I am good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you on the show. Um, can you tell us how you got started helping ministries and, and nonprofits uh, increase their fundraising and, and you know, grow as an organization. Happy to. It's it's a, a one of my favorite stories to uh, share because it it really has been a a journey. So I was, you know, 10 plus, my goodness, 12 plus years ago, uh working in corporate and uh, I was a I was running a, a group that was uh, it was a big architecture and design firm and um we were doing big corporate headquarter rollouts all over the world frankly. A super fun job, very project schedule. Uh, discipline-driven job, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and honestly had no intentions of shifting from from that. You know, I was really just climbing the corporate ladder and, and loving it. Um, but uh, God had different <laughs> different plan for me. Um, I, yeah, he I does. as he always <laughs> does, as he always think. Thankfully, I, I I listened and was sensitive when he was calling me into that. Um, but but quickly, I um I I, I live in Chicago and uh, we I attend the Moody Church here in Chicago. And uh, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip, um, and I'd never been on a mission trip before. This was, my goodness, I mean, quite a few years ago. I think in two thousand six, about I went on my first one, and uh, it was to India. And I, I really had never done any research on India, um, but you know, it was a lot of my friends going, and it seemed like a neat trip. And I was single, and I thought, hey, yeah, let's go. Um, and so we were going to be um, working with a group that was trying to build a facility to um, do some orphan care work and anti-trafficking prevention. And so uh, I went, and long story short, it was just really a life-changing experience for me. Um, not only the trip, but it just really pivoted a lot of paths in my life um, to where when I came home, um I just really felt the Lord saying, stay involved, um, because this is really something that, that where he wanted me. And so I pretty much, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I continued to work my full-time job for, for three more years, but I, I was working in an additional, uh, full-time job for this organization who had just started in the States, uh, to support the work that was going on in India. Um, and so I was working crazy, um, but, but also just loved it. I mean, just absolutely loved the work. Um, loved the girls that we were serving, um, and eventually I, I joined that organization and worked for them for three years, um, and and grew it tremendously. Uh, we, we tripled its funding in about eighteen months, and wow. um, I know it was su- such a fun ride, such a fun ride, and 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 the, was doing the organization was doing great work, um, and so I, uh, but you know, kind of after three years or so, I, um, I think it, it that position also really kind of lit in me some of my entrepreneurial nature um, that I didn't fully know was there, but I, I really wanted to get back to um, just, I love the juggle of, you know, having 30 clients and different schedules and different budgets and all those good things. Um, but I was also getting a lot of um, nonprofit leaders reaching out to me saying, Hey, how are you guys doing that? How are you growing? Uh, we're stuck. We're stuck too. And, and and how did you? How did you really? You know, kind of grow up into those larger gifts. And so I quickly realized um, I maybe had something or a unique methodology in, in in doing this. And so I started my own business to do just that, to come alongside other um, leaders of nonprofits who were doing amazing work all over the all over the globe, but their funding had plateaued. Um, and they needed a better way to to grow and move forward and really kind of flourish into that founding mission. And so um, today I'm still very passionate about India. 
Um, my husband and I uh, adopted two children from India. And so, uh, you know, I'm still working in India, but it just, they happen to be sitting at my dining room table every night. So it's a little, a little different mission I'm on um, mm-hmm. with that. But um, that really was the start of my business. And that, that's been, you know, eight years ago. And I have not looked back because it has been um, really one of the biggest blessings in my life. I've loved running my own business. I love scaling it. Um, it is it is one of the biggest pleasures to um, really have a front row seat in what God is doing all over the globe and learn yeah. from people who have jumped in and said, yes, Lord, I will, I will work on this mission. I will accept this um, and, and to really help them um, level up so that they can have a greater impact. It's really, um, I had no idea when I started my business, what a joy that would be. Mm. That's an awesome journey. It has been, it really has been. You, you mentioned, um, seeing ministries and, and plateauing or seeing it, having a desire to help ministries who had plateaued in their fundraising. Um, what are some of the commonalities of ministries or nonprofits who you see are stuck um, or their funding has plateaued. Yeah. So when I considered, or when I was kind of thinking, like, could I have my own business to to do this? Like, what is the need? One statistic um, that I still that still really drives me today um, is that seventy seven percent of nonprofits have never reached that one million dollar mark, um, and that's a lot. You know, Zach, I, I was like, really, seventy seven percent. You know, and, and I think it's like 90 something percent have never reached the $5 million mark. So I just noticed um, that that void between, wow, the people have amazing visions and are doing great work, but why is the funding so difficult to reach? And so um, what, I, what I've realized is there's, um, there's this, I guess in the biggest way, I would say that organizations, they've, they've started and they've gotten to a certain point and, and by no fault of their own, they've really had to be reactive, right? They've had to respond mm-hmm. to everybody's, Hey, can you do this for us? Or I think you should be doing this. Right. And you're like, well, okay, I've, I don't have experience and that's all. I'll try it. Right. But there comes a time when we have to really push that pause button on kind of just reacting to everything and really say, what, what are those proactive steps heading forward? What does it look like to really put a true plan in place to scale our organization? And so, um, you know, that that statistic drives my business. Um, it's really, and so I find that people are stuck because um, there people, a lot of people who are running organizations are absolute subject matter experts at their mission, at their programs, but have never scaled yeah. an organization. And, um, therefore I hear oftentimes like, I kind of don't know what I don't know. And so, um, how would I move into larger gifts or, you know, there's no plan to do that. Um, and so oftentimes we kind of turn to what we see the bigger groups doing. Oh, okay, great. So we should do a big giving Tuesday. We should, we should have a gala. We should do a a marathon. Um, all of those things that Mm -hmm. we see big groups doing, but those don't always translate um, to the seventy-seven percent of nonprofits who are under that million-dollar mark, and so, and the other part of that I would say is, um, you know, oftentimes we're very dependent on, you know, well, if my board would just fundraise, if my board would just help, um, but I, I'll, I'll always be the first person to say, the, the a lot of the board members, you know, a these are volunteer positions, b they mm-hmm. probably are amazing businessmen and women leaders in the community. Um, but they themselves often have never had to fundraise or never had to sit down and ask somebody for $20,000. And so um, they need to be equipped as well. And so I'm really passionate about demystifying that process from trying all the things to really getting into a, a strategic way of funding your organization that's diverse, um, that's, that's going to carry you through the long haul, that's going to set you up with a nice, strong cash balance. Um, so that you can invest in growth and um, and your organization really can move into its, its kind of founding vision, if you will. Yeah. So for those small organizations that are below that 77% that you talked about, um, 
what is the what does the funding model need to look like for those organizations to grow? Yeah, so I'm so I've put my whole methodology that I teach, um, and I, I teach a, a 90 day fundraising accelerator, and it's really around this premise. And here's what that look, needs to look like. Um, I want your top 30 gifts yielding about 50 to 75% of your revenue. And so that leaves, you know, kind of the bottom 25% and more of a grassroots or, uh, you know, kind of mass donor level. And so if we think of the top 10 being about between, you know, 25 and 40% and the remainder of the top 30. So the hard thing is that that's where we want the funding coming from. I also want those top 30 gifts. Uh, to be unrestricted. <laughs> if I can have my way, I also want them unrestricted. Um, <laughs> so the challenge is, okay, great, Sherry, that sounds like a good idea. Um, but the, the challenge I find and kind of also tying, I guess, to where people get stuck is how to then I allocate my own time, my own budget, my own energy into those activities when I've never done it. And so, you know, most nonprofits spend all of their time, energy, and budget on the activities that actually are securing smaller donors. Um, so, so I, I, I'm a, I'm a teacher in shifting your activities and shifting your time and energy into making sure that you're securing those top 30 donors um, on an annual basis so that your organization really gets into a rhythm of, of growth. And so um, that whole methodology is really based on kind of two things one being how do we lead our donors in such a wonderful and um, kind of serviced or value-filled way that they're giving their best gift to the organization and that, that they're giving that gift every year. And so oftentimes when I start working with people, you know, I'll say, oh yeah, that person gives a thousand dollars every year. I'll say, is that their best gift? Oh, I don't know. They just, they just kind of mail it in, right? Like, so it's not their best gift. So what do we need to do together to to make sure we've created such a great experience with the organ with that donor that they want to give their best gift. And so, you know, run those numbers if somebody's listening to this and and look at, you know, what how much, you know, how much is our or would our top 30 donors be bringing in? What percentage are you at? Um kind of on the flip side of that, Zach, I'd say, you know, you want to be careful that um you know, your top, you know, your top donor is not half of your budget, right? Um, right. I have, a, I have a client who had, they, I mean, they're small, but about $600,000 budget. Uh, but one of those donors is, is $300,000, right? And so it's half their wow. budget. Now, what a blessing <laughs> that they yeah. got that gift, but you know, our, our challenge and what we're working on together is, um, how do we diversify the funding? So we aren't so dependent if we lose that. Right. And so it's really about, um, having that really strong annual top 30 donor portfolio and um, making sure that breadth of gifts um, is, is, is a wide uh, variety and coming from a wide donor segment. So it's a balance. It seems like there's, there's an approach not to focus on a single or a couple single large, large donors that fund the entire thing, but you're also encouraging ministries not to completely pursue just a bunch of really tiny donations. Is it, am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, you're a hundred percent right. And and you'll never hear me say, "Oh, don't do Giving Tuesday, don't do the marathon, don't do the event." You know, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is right. the the diversification and the balance, like you said, that is the name of the game. Um, and I'll just bring this up right now because this is what everybody's talking about. You know, with with um, with events, um, you know, I want donors. Uh, I say people are talking about it right now because many people here, you know, here in spring 2020 have had to cancel their events. Um, yeah. And so what I would say is you still have that financial need. And so event or not, um, you know, I want people to uh, make sure that they have created a donor experience that we're leading donors to give their best gift. And the event is not that is not the donor's experience, right? That might be a step in your donor's experience. And so, um, you know, about 45 days ago, I would have said, hypothetically, if your event went away, would your donor still give that same gift to you this year? You know, that's really the true, you know, true testament that your event is successful, that 
if it went away, your donors would still be wanting to give that size gift to you. Um, that, yeah. that question is not hypothetical anymore, right? And so um, I say that I bring up the events because um, oftentimes I think they're really seen as that, that secret weapon or that secret sauce um, or, oh, we've got, we, we must have to have an event um, to grow our organization. And that's not the truth. That's not the truth. Um, you know, man, I have many successful clients who don't have galas or don't have big events um, who are scaling their organization purely based on uh, this kind of top 30, top 50 donor strategy. Yeah. Well, and those events should be viewed as opportunities to just um, pad the budget, not as opportunities to fund the ministry or the organization, right? right? If we're if we're relying on big events like that and say some catastrophic event like COVID-19 hits, now all of our funding is gone because our three, maybe three big events for the year have to get canceled. A hundred percent. And now- you know, we're up, whatever the, whatever the terminology you want to use is, but, um, you're in a position where, where you're wanting, you don't have any, you know, don't have an alternative plan. Yeah, you're so right. And that's, and that's really the stress of a lot of people who are reaching out to me right now. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's a scary position to be in. Um, you know, I have a client who, uh, like they took my program in earlier 2019. They always had an event. They had it this last November, uh, you know, small organization. So I think they were bringing in about $75,000 with the event. Um, but the point of me bringing this up is, you know, we really worked hard to, or, or I should say, we knew that people were coming to the event, table hosts, attendees that who had been coming year on year. Um, but they were coming and just not giving their best gift. They were just coming and you know, participating at some level, but it just wasn't, we knew it wasn't what it could be. And so we actually created great donor experiences for, for many of their top donors uh, and pulled their, that pulled their gift and pulled their ask outside and before the event. And so mm. when uh, my client was kind of approaching her event, she already had uh, $73,000 raised before she even set foot at the event. And so she, uh, oh, she wow. raised, yeah, it's really fantastic. She's a great student. Um, and so she raised over $200,000 at the event, but it was, it was because she positioned the event within the donor experience and it was not the mm -hmm. end all be all. And so I, I say that right now and I have to be careful because, you know, she's sitting on the strongest reserve, um, of her organization right now because she really put the plan in place. Um, and really served her donors and helped them see the impact their gift was making uh, and created great donor experiences for them. And so event or not, um, she will get those gifts going forward because she was able to pull them outside of the context of the event. And so I, even right now I'm challenging people that, that had to cancel events. I, I know that really stinks. That was a lot of work you just did and had to cancel it. I really feel um, that that feels terrible, but it, it really is an opportunity to, um, to, to kind of get back to basics with some of those core donors who were coming and maybe not giving their best gift in the first place. It's the opportunity mm -hmm. to create a great relationship with them and, and help them see what their gift has done and what it can do uh, and really pivot them into more of an annual fund donor versus an event donor. Yeah. Now, what would you say to an organization leader who might say, okay, we, we're not focusing on a single large donor that funds our entire thing, we are focusing on the, you know, $25, $50 a month and going super, super wide with a lot of smaller gifts and, mm -hmm. and diversifying even more than what you've just outlined. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a, I, I love a, a great grassroots campaign. I love a great monthly donor campaign. I mean, especially, you know, for faith-based organizations, monthly giving is fantastic. Um, but, but I would also say, um, I find a lot of groups are then leaving money on the table when they're really heavily focused uh, or maybe only focused on those types of activities. Because what I find is there's some donor who says, yeah, I can sign up for 50 bucks a month. Cool. But like they might be writing a $10,000 check down the road. And so mm. I want, I really want to make sure that, um, you know, if that donor, if, if $50 a month is that donor's best gift, um, awesome, amazing. Let's design 
um, the most amazing campaign in a way to serve them and celebrate them and really help them see what their gift is doing. But I would just say be cautious because um, if you don't also have that more of those upper tier strategies in place, um, you will leave money on the table because those donors, here's what is a crazy concept, Zach, Um, donors don't understand what you need, right? There's only Mm -hmm. one person who can tell them what the organization needs and that's the fundraiser. Right. And so if the ask is 50 or $25 a month, that's what they will respond to. And so once in a while, I get the opportunity to sit in solicitations with some of my clients. And I've literally been in a solicitation where that donor's best gift on any given year had been $12,000 and they it went up and over six figures. And, and what came out of this donor's mouth was, you've never asked me. I, I just didn't know you needed that. Mm. And, and like, I hear that to this day and that's been years ago because in essence, that donor was just not being asked to give their best gift. And so um, I love watching those types of campaigns. You know, that's, you know, not my specialty. Um, I love, love a good campaign like that, but I would just, I would just caution people to make sure um, that they, they have robust campaigns at every level so that you're really offering that opportunity for people to participate at the level that they can and probably want to. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Now, how do you help leaders start moving into those larger donations? What is, what was maybe is the first step? Some in that of those process? first steps. Yeah. Yeah. I, people are always like, no, Sherry, you're talking a lot about top 30 donors. And I don't know that we have those. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, said, so that's okay. We can find them. We can find them. So, um, I guess I, what I, what, where I always start, here's where I guess we'll just start of like, you know, where I start with even my 90 days. Um, there's, there's kind of three things I want to make sure um, are really clear, not only in the nonprofit's mind, but, but obviously so they can, can really convey that to a donor. And so I always say there's three things that have to be super clear in an individual donor's mind um, before they're going to give their best gift. And so one of those is, um, I mean, these are simple. These are like, yeah, that makes sense, Sherry, but I'll tell you what I mean. When is your plan? Like, where are you headed? What are you doing? Like, what do you need this year so that you can do X next year? Because you're going to do this in five years, right? And so whether you have that really robust, you know, strategic plan that you've, you know, paid a consultant to do and, you know, you guys really have a, you know, kind of quarterly uh, execution goals, um, or it's in your head, you know, either one you have to be able to sit down and explain your annual plan to annual fund donors, right? So it's your plan, where are you headed? The second thing would be your program. So, okay, great. So what are the activities that you do that actually are helping you accomplish that plan? And so I have some funny stories about uh, really donors just not understanding what organizations do or just kind of filling in the gap as they think they think they know what the organization does. Um, and, and so one big area I, I look at here, just to make sure the donor is having, has really extreme clarity on why would I give to your organization versus the other you know, 30 that I know that seemingly do a similar thing to you than mm-hmm. you. Um, so this, I'll look at a lot of things like, are we talking about what we do and more of tasks and activities, or are we actually talking about it as, you know, real nonprofit programs with outcomes and impact? Um, so, so we'll look at those areas. And then th- thirdly, probably the most important and the thing I get excited to talk about, which is kind of crazy, um, is, is the financial need. So, okay, so you have these plans and you have these programs. So what do you need? And here's why I love talking about that. Um, always when nonprofits come to me, I, I ask them a question. Admittedly so. It's a little bit of a test. I'll say, so what, what's your budget this year? And I get a lot of, well... The, you know, last year we raised about, I don't know, we brought in about 680. So we'd love to get over 700. Right. And so when I did, I know what they're saying, like we want to grow. Um, but when I dig into it and, uh, and this happens at every size in organizations, this happens at multi-million dollar organizations. Um, you know, I'll start, I'll start asking, well, are you investing in this? No. You know, are, are you fully staffed? No. Are you taking a full salary? No. Um, you know, all of these things that, well, we just haven't put that in the budget. I don't know if we can afford that. And so mm-hmm. 
really, I find that organizations are not fundraising and are not sharing the need of the organization. They're kind of sharing the squeak by budget of the organization. So if someone was saying, where do I start, Sherry? I would say, I need you to be able to, I need you to find out what does your organization actually need this year? $10 says it's more like 750 or 800 because you've got to invest in your organization's programs and admin and fundraising for it to grow. Mm-hmm. And so um, that budgeting part is, is a huge first step because you are not going to scale and grow your organization um, if you do not set a real need because you cannot, because otherwise you cannot create a real income plan to actually reach that need. And so right. off, yeah. And so, so like when you're, when you think of, okay, well, you want me to go sit down and ask that person for $20,000. If that person is running a successful business is, is that CFO of a business and says, so what do you need? Tell me what you need. You know, do they want to hear from you? Well, you know, we brought in six, you know, 80 last year. And so we really hope to get to 700 or do they want to hear, thank you so much for asking that. We have a, we have a $750,000 need this year. Could I share with you of how, how we're going to hit that or what that looks like? Right. And then, then, then methodically walking through it, you know, which one of those answers is the better investment, right. For that, for that investment level donor. And so that, that budgeted need is, is where I have people start when, um, when they're kind of thinking about pivoting into larger gifts, because, um, because that is, it's amazing to me how many groups are kind of reacting um, or just kind of planning to just, just do a little bit more than last year um, when they have waiting lists and when they have, you know, really opportunities to grow. And so we really want to inspire donors to, to get behind and, and they want to be giving to, to forward propelling organizations. So we really have to do our, our due diligence to be presenting our organizations in that way. Do you think the holdup is that there's a lot of fear around asking for something like that? Or, or if so, um, why do you think there is so much fear around that, that ask? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, you know, most people, uh, who start working with me will say, I'm really bad at fundraising or I really don't want to ask people for money. And I, I, I hear you, you know, you haven't ever had to do that before. Um, but to be really honest with you, once you fully know these three things, you're, how would I talk about my plans in a way a donor understands? How would I talk about my programs in a way that helps a donor see that we're really experts at this? How would I present that financial need? When you have proper tools in hand, um, when you really say, yeah, you're right, Sherry, I do need to be raising to 750. It's amazing that confidence shift um, that I see people make and, and to say, yeah, I actually think now I do know what I would say when I sat down with someone. And so I do feel like, Zach, a lot of it is um, really demystifying that process of what does it look like to really lead a donor to a solicitation? What does, what does a solicitation look like? Um, you know, what are those hard questions they may ask you? And, uh, you know, so I, I, I like to do a lot of role playing, a lot of practicing. Um, you know, sometimes I'll even kind of pitch my client to show them, um, what I would say. Um, and so I, I'm proud to say that fear can be reduced because everybody can be a fundraiser. I truly, truly believe that. Um, but to me, really knowledge is power in that investment level conversation. Um, mm-hmm. and, and people, you know, many people have just have totally different career paths and um, haven't ever had to sit down and ask somebody for, for money or haven't had, sat in a meeting with, um, you know, a power couple and, you know, both CEOs of, of companies. And it's like, what kind of scary things are they going to ask me? Um, and so I really do think that the fear can be re- greatly reduced, um, when you have the knowledge in your head and then you actually have some strong solicitation tools to use alongside, um, the organization, the ask. Yeah, when you go, <clears throat> when you go in with a, a strong plan rather than just winging it. hundred percent, hundred percent. Cause they don't, they're going to feel that right. You know, right. um, sometimes I'll, 
you know, when my clients start having these investment level conversations with donors who maybe they've had for a while, uh, or even new donors, I, I love when the donor will say, um, wow, I, I, I don't have any, I don't have too many other nonprofits talking to me like this, right? Like sharing the financials, sharing your growth strategy, sharing how you're funded, sharing how money was used last year, sharing how you anticipate gifts being used this year, like really having that investment conversation, right? And when you know that, like your donors are who who re- your donors who really value that people who are also scaling and growing great businesses or um, just just like that um, they're going to respond favorably because sadly the bar is kind of low in that area um, and so I, I oftentimes have have uh, a lot of first time askers come back and say oh my goodness they they loved it they said everybody else who they give to is not having is really not being as transparent or not disclosing what it looks like to invest in the organization. And so um, that's always a really fun conversation to have too. Now, what about those ministry leaders who might be listening um, that are saying they don't have, you know, the top 30 donors that you talk about? How do you, how do you go about helping them find that, that top 30 number? Yeah. And here's what I would say. Um, You have to do, if you're kind of starting out and you're thinking, well, I have some, or maybe I have 15, okay? So we need to find, and not only do you need to find 15, but we need to find a solid pipeline of steady donors growing and continually uh, coming to know about the organization. Here's what I would say say to you. Um, you need to run uh, a con- almost like a connector strategy right alongside your, your donor cultivation uh, and qualification strategy. And so what I mean by that is... Um, I want you um, just connecting with people on a very regular basis. And so what that might look like is sometimes I'll say, uh, okay, take the money off the table. Don't be worrying about like, how do I get to a person with means? Let's just kind of, if you saw me right now, I'm kind of rubbing my shoulders. Like just put that aside. Um, (laughs) Talk to me about who are kind of those couple people who are the absolute most connected people you know. When your friend needs a job, who's that friend you're calling to say like, hey, do you know anybody that's this? You know, they might be really connected people in your church, connected people just in the community. Um, those people are going to lead you to your next donors. And so I'll say, give me a list of 10 people who just really love you and know what you do, kind of know what you do, but wow, they might actually also be really impressed um, if we went to them and said, can I practice my pitch with you? Can I kind of practice um, these investment level conversations with you? Because I'm actually looking to grow my network. Um, that's an amazing way to really start on a warm foot. So you aren't doing just cold calls. Um, mm-hmm. A, you're raising the sights of that connector who oftentimes connectors are like, what? I didn't know you guys were doing this. This is crazy. I'd love to give A. And then B, it's a great way to, to raise their sights, but then say, Something like, you know, who else do you know in your world who A, would be really interested in hearing um, what I've shared with you today and B, has the ability to give gift sizes of, of, of X, right? And so you will always have people say, oh, well, do you know blah, blah? Or have you talked to this, you know, foundation? Or, you know, have you met the Thomases? There's always going to be that. Um, this is where I say fundraising is not easy, especially with mid and major level gifts. It is the it is the marathon, right? It is not the sprint, and so the 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 time that this takes um, to build relationships, not only with connectors who then are going to refer you, but also with your current donors, or you know whether they're giving their best gift or not, um, it's really a time commitment. You know, typically, uh, any any an ED is give is spending about forty percent of their time, you know, even specifically with their top thirty don- donors, and so um, it's certainly the marathon approach. Um, but it's really it's really the way to fund your organization on a sustainable basis. Now, do you guide organizations to use their board to help with some of that networking? Yes. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So. Yet in a perfect world, I want the board being, you know, very active and continually bringing names, you know, to the executive director or development director or development team. Um, 
that doesn't always happen, <laughs> Zach, as you can imagine. Um, so yes, I, I want them really um, being very active in, in development. But here's what I would say. Sometimes when uh, a, a great example I get, usually probably at every speaking engagement, somebody will raise their hand and say, um, hey, my board says they don't know anybody or my board doesn't want to fundraise or the board says they don't know anybody who could give large gifts. And so I can't get them to do anything. Um, so I'll, <laughs> it, it, it just happens, you know, often. So here's what I'd say to that though. I sometimes honestly will flip it back on the leadership and say, okay, so here's step one. Um, my guess is they probably haven't ever had to fundraise before. And so they also don't know what they don't know. And so we, we also need to demystify this for your board members. And so my advice to a development director or executive director would be, um, why don't you show them how it's done? I want you creating a, a customized, exclusive, wonderful donor experience for each one of your board members. A. B, I want you to solicit them every year. You know, so often boards are just, maybe they're giving a gift or oh, we'll just mail in a gift. I want you actually to solicit them and show them how it's done. Because sometimes, you know, I think I, th- I hear a lot of board members say, I don't know, I don't want to give you all my my colleagues' names or whatever. Like, what are you going to say to them? Are you just going to like walk up and ask them for money? No, we're not going to do that, right? You know, it's going to be a great wonderful experience with the organization and we're going to lead them very warmly to a solicitation and in, in hopes that they really want to give. So I will, I'll oftentimes boards who are not involved um, in fundraising, I will, it's often because they don't know what to do because they themselves are not receiving that donor process. And so my first step is, is kind of counterintuitive as it, as it feels is, first serve your board, show them how it's done. Because once it's done to them, they're like, oh, that's, that's what you need me to do. Oh, well, that, that actually felt pretty good. So that's mm-hmm. my biggest advice um, to, to people who are really trying to just engage their board in these activities in a greater way. Now, I'm assuming that all of these meetings that you're, you're encouraging, um, executive directors and, and development directors to be um, pursuing or face-to-face, correct? Mm-hmm. Or in-person asks? Certainly as many as possible. You know, the, the you know, and I'm going to answer this in, in non-COVID time <laughs> right now, but um, <laughs> yeah, I really want, you know, with your top level donors, you might be meeting in person with them, um, you know, I would say minimum three to four times a year. And especially one of those being a solicitation. And so obviously the higher the donor, the more, um, I guess I'll say exclusive that experience needs to be and needs to feel. And so, yes, I want, I want the majority of those happening in person so that you're just in deep relationship. Um, you know, saying that, you know, it's amazing. I, you know, um, a lot of groups will say, well, yeah, but that donor's in Florida and I'm in, I'm in Oregon. So, um, it's, it's amazing what technology can do. Right. Um, you know, I, yeah. I have clients landing six figure gifts on zoom right now, you know, with, with all of this COVID stuff going on. So, um, it, but it's all about the relationship building, right? If you had a great, great relationship with somebody before, then a zoom meeting is, is appropriate. Um, and so even if you're, you know, you have that Florida, Oregon example, um, this is where I'd say to nonprofits, you know, fundraising, you have to spend money, you have to invest money to make money. And so, um, you might have to get on a plane and go to Florida once a year, right? And and that's okay um, because that's gonna that's gonna pay probably tenfold. Um, so so yeah, I, I do I do want the majority of these meetings uh, being in person. Um, again, I, this top thirty portfolio can really take um, up to forty percent of of an executive director's time if if, if you haven't hired a development director yet, um, and that's really. I'm not going to lie, Zach, that's an overwhelming feeling for some people. Um, right. But that pivot into really where we started this conversation, really understanding how to allocate your time and energy to the 30 gifts that could potentially bring in 75% of your revenue, it's worth it, right? It's yeah. hard, but it is worth it. Uh, and groups that can really make that time pivot alongside um, – 
you know, I guess in, al- in alignment with these gifts, um, it, it really, it really scales and it really grows their organizations. Well, and, and to expand on the COVID comment, I, th- I think this time that we're in and experiencing is opening up opportunities for ministries and, and nonprofits to um, be creative in how they communicate with their yes. database and, and do some things online that they may have felt uncomfortable doing in the past, um, get onto social media and, and have Zoom calls with potential donors. Um, when they otherwise may have not wanted to do that stuff in the past, now they're kind of forced into it. And so, um, you're so we're, right. We're always encouraging organizations like, yes, this this is a crappy season, and we all have to experience it in a you know, the bummer that this is. But mm-hmm. I think that this opens up opportunities to practice and begin laying foundations that um, and strategies that we can. Once this all ends, we can continue to implement and, and have built up because we spent the time while we were stuck at home. I love it. I love it. I uh, I gave some advice to, um, or what I've been t- telling quite a few people. I said, "Hey, you know, like everyone's asking me, can I solicit right now?" I'm like, "Well, you a you can, but but here's the thing: if a donor gave a gift, let's pretend they gave a gift even anytime between November first to March first. Let's say it was a nice size gift, like." We probably wouldn't be ready to ask them again. But I said, hey, this is a perfect time to say, could we just could we just have a morning coffee together? I'm trying to spend the first 20 minutes of my day with with people like yourself because I want to share with you what your gift is doing right now in this stressful time. Because like mm-hmm. in essence, like, thank you so much for giving, you know, in the past few months because it's allowing us to be strong. You know, you're assuring your donors that was a good investment you made in the organization. Uh, sharing with with them what their gift is doing, how they can be praying, um, you know, just connecting, just cultivating. Um, not every you know solicitations the, the the roadmap to the solicitation. There's not it's not always asks right. There's way more give than receive oftentimes. So with even yeah. with those donors, um, you're laying the groundwork to ask them again in two, four, six months. Um, so so don't go silent, you know. And and I'm a, I love that concept, Zach. I mean, I'm like, keep doing that. Keep doing that when we're out of COVID, right? A quick, hey, I do Friday morning coffees with donors. Would you like to be, how's next Friday for you? You know, like what a wonderful way to stay connected. Um, It probably also helps them in their busy schedule too. Yeah, that's so good. Now, throughout this this, um, conversation, you've mentioned a couple things that have stuck out. One, being donor experience. Mm -hmm. Two, being celebrate the donor. Uh, and three, being uh, help your donor see the impact that their donations provide. All of that is kind of centered around this donor experience and, and mm-hmm. communicating what, um, especially with a, a Christian nonprofit, a Christian ministry, what God is doing through their organizations, helping them, uh, providing value by just saying, hey, here's what your your investment has done. I think there's intrinsic value in that. Um <clears throat> when you coach and guide and consult an organization uh, or a leader of an organization in creating a donor experience, what does that kind of look like? Yeah. So again, I'm talking top 30 today, but this could be, you know, top 42 or top 28 really doesn't, doesn't matter. I really want, this is part of that shifting from reactive to proactive. So I want when you're doing annual planning, you know, let's pretend your fiscal year is starting here next month. As we're, we've created the, the plan, we've made sure we have the programs tight, the budgeted need. I literally want you to plan out what you believe the steps will be all year long to lead your, your top level donors to an ask. So that's really like, what is the framework of a donor experience? And so then you're obviously customizing what those steps are, um, you know, in a way that's deeply rooted in what that donor values, you know, what, you know, tied to the reason of, of like why they would give, um, tied to what they want to see as impact reported to them. Um, and so sometimes an example I'll use, you know, obviously we designed very different donor experience plans for that very metric driven CFO who's like, give me numbers, give me pie charts, you know, like I need to see the ROI, if you will. Um, very different than maybe, um, you know, maybe an, an older couple 
in the church who really wants to instill kind of a, a very philanthropic or a very, um, you know, a spirit of generosity, and they want their grandchildren to be involved. They really want to maybe leave that legacy. Um, those might be, those are very different donor experiences, right? And so how you're, how you're thanking a donor and celebrating them looks very different in those two scenarios, right? It might be very metrics and report driven to the CFO, and it might be very story-based and um, customized video that they can share to, with their family uh, in, in the second scenario. And so um, a lot of times, I'll always say to people, you have way more control over the gift size and the timing in the gift than you think. But you won't if you don't plan out the donor experience. If you don't plan out, okay, if that donor, here's my example I give, if that donor always writes a $5,000 check at around Thanksgiving, they just mail it in. We know that's not their best gift. You know, this year I want to make sure that I can get in front of them and solicit them in October before Thanksgiving. So what am I doing as the leader to, you know, what am I doing in January? What am I doing in April? What am I doing in June? So that in September I can ask them if I could come and ask them, right? And so if we don't plan that out and really have that be a part of our our fundraising discipline um, and that rhythm that we're in all year long. Um, that's when I hear things like, I don't know, Sherry, this donor gave $5,000 last year. I just didn't hear from him this year. I don't know. I don't know what went on. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, did we lead them? Did we create a donor experience for them? Did they know um, we needed them to give again this year? Um, so that's really what I mean, Zach. And it's a very granular approach, but again, if it's yielding 75% of your revenue, I'm going to do that all day long. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, my kind of in that in kind of to wrap up that impact comment you made and celebrating and with them, um, you know, a bar that I feel is, is, is low and should be raised is really how we are reporting impact and how are we thanking the donor and how are we sharing with them what their gift has done? Um, and I have one rule for thanking and that is exceed expectations. Um, if I have a donor say, oh my goodness, you didn't need to do that. That's the, the that's music to my ears, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because we didn't, but we really wanted to, because we really want to serve them and and help them see um, really that impact and um, that their gift is making. And, and that's how you retain donors, right? That's how you get them yeah. back into that path to give next year. Um, and when they're considering, you know, five different organizations to give to, um, you want to be the one that that really made them feel the best, right? And, and they and made them feel like they made a really good investment um, in the work yeah. that you're doing. I mean, it, that's similar to what we encourage organizations to do, and and in storytelling on a consistent mm-hmm. basis. Obviously, God is working through a lot of these organizations in just incredible ways, and there's more than enough stories that we could these organizations could be telling of how He's yes rescuing and redeeming and and saving to himself and doing just incredible things miraculous things and so uh, i think there is a barrier to that in that storytelling can be expensive um and in in certain formats Mm -hmm. um but there are creative ways to do that and and not break the bank every time and and so we encourage and push organizations to be storytelling on a consistent basis and communicating to the donors what their investment has done and what God's doing through the organization without some type of financial ask every single time. Yes. Um, so important. You see a lot of organizations uh, that are storytelling well and on a consistent basis, and they have some type of either hard or soft ask tied to every single com- communication with right. the donor. Um, you, you get to the point where you're just beating a donor over the head yeah. that, that can be, that can backfire pretty, pretty easily, but yeah, um, you're so right. That's, that's great advice. I, um, you know, in storytelling, of course, with the, the mission and the lives changed. And, um, you know, I also say it's also storytelling on, um, what mission you, the leader, like are really on leading this organization and how it's mm-hmm. how growing and, um, you know, I get excited about that being a business owner myself and say, oh, really, how are you, do- how are you doing this? Right. Like, um, so I, I love kind of both sides of that storytelling, the mission and, um, you know, programs and change lives. And also just 
what our plans are and how we're scaling this and and what do we see as being um, kind of that end result, right? That gets, that gets visionary donors really excited as well. So I I get excited talking about that. Well, Sherry, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Um, I think that's about all the time that we have. Can I pray for you and your company? Oh, thank you, Zach. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Father, we just lift up Sherry and her company, Quam Taylor. I pray that you would um, lead and guide her as she helps ministries uh, grow and be more effective in their um, financial development and and, um, just strategic growth. I pray that you would um, give her clarity and and direction as she leads other leaders. Father, uh, thank you for the work that she's doing. Thank you for her yes to um, stay in it and stay involved like you asked her to so so many years ago. And um, pray that you would just continue to use her to bless organizations doing incredible work for your kingdom all over the world. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. Sherry. If, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they do so? Sure. They can hop on my website, which is quamtaylor.com. It's my maiden and my married name. It's Q-U-A-M-Taylor.com. Uh, and I've got lots of resources on there, uh, lots of free playbooks. Um, you know, I do major gift audits. If you want to hop on the phone or hop on my calendar, um, just as during, especially during this time, as you're trying to figure out, uh, you know, what does our future of funding look like uh, for our organization? So um, hop over there and reach out. I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear from anybody. Awesome. Well, Sherry, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.